gonna look twice at you Until I see the Christ in you Welcome again to our faith walking meditations, to our conversations. It seems a long time since we had the last one. Uh, this uh, we, we do it on the second and the fourth Mondays of, of every month, and uh, we had one of those months with five weeks, so it feels like forever. We haven't sat and, and talked. So, welcome. These are conversations when we explore together some things and ideas and considerations that are helpful to nurture our souls. Um, we are doing this journey it has been quite a journey a few weeks or a few episodes already uh, the journey of a spiritual formation topic today is the inner dynamics of the spiritual disciplines we have been following the work of uh, robert moholland jr um, in the book invitation to a journey a roadmap for spiritual formation a bit of a of a map you know to give you a sense we are moving forward. We today we're going to finish our second section, if you want, of, of, of conversations about this journey of transformation, it has to do with the spiritual disciplines. This uh, quote from the author is actually good. It's very good for me to keep reading and keep remembering. The Christian journey towards wholeness in the image of Christ for the sake of others, progresses by means of spiritual disciplines. I don't know what that quote does for you, but uh, uh, for me, it reminds me who I want to be, right? What I want, wholeness in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Yes, yes, sign me in. That's exactly what I want, right? And also the second thing that it does, it reminds me that spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, are part of this, uh, not only a option, preference, even at the light, you know, they are actually the means that God uses to produce in me. So we have explored several things, the stages of Christian pilgrimage, pilgrimage, classic spiritual disciplines, but we call them also the personal spiritual disciplines. And today we're going to talk about the dynamics of the spiritual disciplines, kind of the, the posture that we need to have the author invites us to consider we need to have uh, when we practice this discipline. So another good reminder, the, uh, Robert Mulholland uh, telling us the greater single danger in the spiritual disciplines is the temptation to turn them into works of righteousness. Yeah. We become uh, tempted really to, to do that, right? So look how good I am. Quiet time, my Bible study, and all of that is great. Remember, there is no judgment, no condemnation. But when that motivation, it's more like a work of righteousness, right? It's working on my ego. Whatever it is, it is the end and not the means. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm, I'm, I'm losing alignment with God. That's not the design of it, right? And again, uh, this example, uh, it seems that the Pharisees in the times of, of Christ um, were really good at it, right? And, and doing and practicing spiritual disciplines 
as a work of righteousness. So we're, when we become really sober, <laughs> when we consider that. So three ideas before we start. Um, first, there is a tension between our own works, our performance, and God's work, the work of transformation. We have talked about this several times, right? There is something that only God can do. And there's something that uh, God waits, I guess, for us to do that only we can do. We need to show up and God does a work in us that we cannot do on ourselves. So that is kind of the dialectical, the paradox of this, right? And this tension is not all God, is not all me. It is both. Um, this is a tension. And we learn to navigate, to, 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 to be kind of in this tension. Without God, the disciplines are nothing but empty and hollow motions without power. Power. I don't know if that is real for you, but uh, I can testify. Seasons in my life when, geez, here I am praying, but it seems that I am really just verbalizing words or, or losing my time. <laughs> hollow motions, right? And um, yeah, what 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 is that saying? What is that saying about prayer, about the the inner posture of my soul? To abide in the tension between that work of God and our own work, uh, we need to learn to adopt the posture of silence, solitude, and prayer. These actually are the inner dynamics of this journey. We're going to talk about this. Silence, solitude, and prayer. So this, you can say silence and solitude and prayer are spiritual practices. Yes, they are. But they are so, um, I would say, so profound. They are not only spiritual practices. It's not only that I practice silence in many ways, but there is a posture of my soul, the posture of solitude and the posture of prayer. So we're going to see these more than specific practices as the, yeah, the, 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 the stance that we take as we practice any other of the spiritual practices. Okay, so let me start talking a little bit about silence, right? Silence. I personally remember my beginning of, of exploring silence. It was a part of a cohort, uh, the living school of action and contemplation. And I have read about silence. I have practiced that in my own thing. But the first time that I actually attended a place uh, and about, uh, I don't know, several hundred, hundreds, maybe a couple of hundred of us sat in silence for 20 minutes. My gosh, something different was going on. At the beginning, kind of weird. And, you know, you're trying to, make sense of it, you, you hear a little coughing there and things like that, but here we are, everybody is serious about it, so eventually you get into it, and there's something about that silence, especially with, with other people, you know, smaller groups and communities in the same cohort, I remember a group of maybe 20, how powerful, powerful it was, you know, we were sitting with good teachers and amazing people, and we reach a roar, and and we all were in silence for 20 minutes. And there was a moment in which you will kind of forget a little bit about that, uh, those dynamics of 
people and whatever thinking that you are with people does in you. And there's a picture and I work content. 20 minutes is, is long enough. It's not for one minute. It's not five minutes. You know, 20 minutes allows you to see your own limits. So there's, there's something about silence. Fasting, we, you can say silence is like fasting from words, right? You can define it in that way to be able to listen to God. And yes, that's good. But the posture that we are uh, trying to invite you to consider this in, today is a little bit beyond that. It's, it's an inner posture of release. It's a letting go. What do you let go? Constant tendencies that usually are unconscious, uh, but, but we have to have control, to perform, to, to be in the world. Is a radical reversals of our culture tendencies. And this is a quote for the author of the book, Robert Mulholland. Radical reversal of our culture tendencies. You know, uh, if you start paying attention, probably you have, especially in moments of anxiety, how much we are fixated in trying to control, to feel space to perform some of us when we start coaching and we learn to have conversations just discover that we are uncomfortable with silence in conversations when somebody takes time and doesn't respond immediately we we grow anxious what's going on what's going on right much more if we are somehow uh, i don't know the facilitators you know there is uh, we live in in, in this uh, constant desire to achieve, to control, to perform. So silence, see it as, as a letting go, a release of that, of that. You know, as I am seeing my thoughts coming, um, I let them go. I, I see them, I see them kind of arising, enduring, and eventually disappearing. I see it will be like little uh, boats made of paper on on the surface of a river. <laughs> that was one of the techniques that, that I had, right? See, see my thoughts. Look, they, they arise, they are, don't, don't think of them, just observe them. And eventually they are going to disappear because everything arises, endures, and eventually disappears, right? So that is the exercise, but the posture of letting go that tendency, that knee-jerk uh, reflects or, or that uh, automatic uh, desire of doing that. That's why we talk about silence. You know, when we talk about a relationship with God, it's a different dynamic, right? Instead of trying to control our own relationship with God, here I am, Lord, look at me, how good I am here. <laughs> we start relinquishing control of that relationship to God. David Benner comes to mind saying, just sit down and imagine that God is seeing you as you are sitting down. What, what is there to do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's kind of the silence. But I need to, but I have to just let go. Let go. That is the release. So let, let, me, let me stop for a moment and ask you what comes to your mind as you think of silence specifically. Silence as a posture in the practice of your spiritual practices. 
for me, it was um, doing this was something that God drew me to. And um, I remember learning about centering prayer and starting to practice that and starting to uh, look into contemplative practices and spiritual disciplines. I find that if I don't practice silence now and I don't, I'm not consistent with it in the way I want to be. But if I find myself starting to feel overwhelmed with things, it's usually because I have not taken the time to sit in silence. Um, Sometimes it's in prayer and sometimes it's just sitting (laughs) and watching the birds outside my window. And um, it's very strengthening to my soul. Thank you. I am. Go ahead. I think of it when um, when you know someone really well and you don't have to say anything when you're in their presence. Um, that's that silence for me that you can just be in the presence of God, and you don't you don't have to pray, you don't have to to do anything. You can just sit there and be. Um, and I, I love that picture, like I, that space where I know Him that well. I want to grow in that. That's great, Michelle. Indeed. There's nothing to practice at some point, right? (laughs) You're just there with God, with somebody. It's a great picture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I, I, I notice the same, you know, kind of mix of of both. Uh, Trish, I remember the the commitment to silence, and, and this is very good, actually. It is necessary. That is recommended, right? Practice silence, you know, two sittings, 20 minutes every day. That's what people <laughs> tell you, right? There's, I don't know what's the magic in 220, but uh, that's what usually they do. Um, and, you know, it has to be a lot of intentionality, but there are seasons when there is no, no specific practice, but I find myself being silent. I'm driving. And there's nothing. There's no podcast, there's no music, there's no phone call. And there is such a joy in my soul. I don't mind the traffic. Oh my gosh, I'm attentive to the sky. There is somebody here with me. It's a posture, right? Right. Good. Let me offer this this. Quote, uh, Henry Nouwen, another good teacher, scout in all these things, right? He writes, silence is that moment in which we not only stop the discussion with others, but also the inner discussions with ourselves, in which we can breathe in freely and accept our identity as a gift. Not I live but he lives in me. Oh, beautiful. Without silence, we will lose our center and become the victim of the many who constantly demand our attention. Ah, yeah. Not I live, but he lives in me. Nothing else to say. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very powerful. So let me move, move on to the next attitude. Solitude. Solitude. Not loneliness. Solitude. <laughs> Some of us, I do have the tendency to like being alone. And that's not necessarily solitude. Maybe a temperament, but you can define solitude as fasting from being with others in order to be with God. Good. That's a practice. We invite you to see a little bit more. And that's the invitation in this as an attitude. Solitude is the beginning to have the courage to face your own brokenness. Without the noise of reasoning or justifying. Okay? To have the courage to face your own brokenness. Solitude. There is nobody else to blame. There is nobody else to point the finger. There is nobody else to compare. There is no, okay, well, most of the people, solitude, I am alone. It's, it's not a bad alone, by the way. It might be scary, and I completely get it. So I was talking with somebody today that was telling me, I don't want to do that work because I'm scared. I'm scared of what's going to transpire, right? In solitude, with, in solitude with God, we stop comparing because there's nothing to compare with. It's a posture of honesty, humility, courage, and reality. To really see what it is and, and you're alone and you have to deal with yourself. So the author uses a lot the book, uh, the, the, the story of Jacob in the book, right? And talks about Jacob. I love that. It's a great point. You know, that Jacob is kind of a trickster, right? And he, he is managing all this manipulation and all of that. But there's a moment when there's nowhere else to go, right? In the, he has, um, he, you know, his father-in-law in the, kind of in the back and he has his brother. He has to face something in him and he sends all his family and his possessions in front of him. He needs to face, he cannot go back. He needs to go forward and he's afraid of his brother, right? And he has to face himself, you know? He, he, he struggles, he wrestles with God. I like the, the picture of Hosea, the book, The Prophet, right? And chapter one and two, it's, it's pretty powerful, you know, especially chapter two. The prophet is invited to marry um, a prostitute. And uh, there's all this prophecy around that, the unfaithfulness of Hosea's wife. And that's the picture, the unfaithfulness of Israel. But beyond that, you know, there is all, all this, you know, uh, part when God is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to isolate you. I'm going to make you forget your ways. You're not going to be able to go to your lovers. You're not going to be able to do what you have been doing so far. I'm going to take you to the wilderness. Solitude. I'm going to take you to the desert. I'm going to take you to a place where there's nobody else but me. And he writes in this uh, chapter 2, verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from, the, from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. Love the picture again. 
It is in this loneliness, not loneliness, solitude of the desert of the soul where we um, face ourselves and, and, and our relationship with God. And that's the posture of solitude, right? I cannot turn around, compare, point the finger. I need to face my own brokenness and I need to face God in my brokenness. So that's a posture. Do, do, we, do we show up to the spiritual practices with this attitude? Facing my nakedness, my littleness, my brokenness. What comes to mind? As you hear about solitude. I, um, I, I like this topic. Uh, I used to struggle a lot with solitude, and I think it's something that the Lord um, has like redeemed in my life over the past few years. Actually, a lot of it through faith walking. Um, I had my I had my kid young. I had my oldest um, when I was in high school. So before I even moved out and was a single parent, so um, silence and solitude were not things that happened a whole lot in my day to day life. And then I think because of that, I was uncomfortable with um, the quiet. You know, I was used to having lots of noise and activity and always someone around. Even if it was a child, it's still like a presence. And so um, as an adult, uh, I, I kind of equated um, solitude with loneliness, um, which I think sometimes our culture tells us that too, but it isn't necessarily, you know, in silence and solitude are really uncomfortable for me. And I had some Christian friends that would talk about going on retreats, like silent retreats and things. And I thought, oh my gosh, why would you do that? It sounds dreadful. Um, but actually through my faith walking, you know, one that I did Know, four or five years ago, um, it had all these times over the weekend that they would tell us, you know, go find like your own spot in the building and just sit and listen. Um, and that was really difficult for me because it's quiet. And um, it, it took a lot of practice for me, like calm mind and be able to just sit and listen. Um, but I found over the past few years, I really um, I really enjoy the solitude and the silence and the opportunity to just like be still and experience God. And, and even like Michelle said, um, with that comfort of just being able to be to not feeling like you have to do anything. I remember just like within the past year, I was just kind of uh, I was just spending time with the Lord and I wasn't necessarily praying or asking anything or really doing anything. It was just kind of like being in his presence. And it made me think of almost like, uh, you know, like when I was a teenager or something and you have you know a boyfriend or girlfriend and you just like them so much that you could just sit on the phone and not even talk, but you don't want to get off the phone because you don't sit there and like listen to each other, which is really silly. But, you know, you just want to like be, even though you're not doing anything. Um, and the Lord kind of, I mean, just this, you know, like, um, I don't know, kind of, I think you brought that to mind to show me like how far I've come, but also just that idea of being like so smitten with someone that you just want to be around them, even if you're not doing anything at all. Um, and so that was really sweet for me. And I think it's neat now that I can like appreciate that and enjoy it. Um, cause it was something that, like I said, just a few years ago, I thought, oh, why would you want to be quiet or alone or anything? And now I really, I really enjoy it, which is good. Now my kids are, my youngest will be 16 this year. So God helped me to be able to enjoy being alone and having more quiet as my 
or else I would have been really young because my kids are like teens now and they're gone a lot. They have, you know, jobs and activities and friends. So his timing is perfect, like always. Indeed. Thank you, Laura. Indeed. Yeah, so, yeah. Good. How many good things, um, you know? It's true that temperament, right? Uh, it's hard. And probably what is helpful is to, to remind us that we, solitude is not the goal. It is the stance and the posture to practice, spiritual practice, right? That allow us to engage from a center that is genuine. Right? So this is not about just being alone. Uh, actually, if, if our temper, temperament, my temperament, is towards solitude more, it is helpful for me to practice that well. I have to face myself, right? Uh, I can be alone thinking about, a lot of, uh, about the many things that are not helpful. So this is, is more com complete than that. But, um, but if my temperament temperament is there, I need to be encouraged to engage, right? And people who are only engaging, so that, that's the essence of, of a lot of the conversations in this journey, to learn to see ourselves and where we are with this, right? But solitude. Um, yeah, and I also think, as, as you say, Laura, there is something that happens, I think, with, with the passing of time. You know, we I, I, my kids are, are toddlers, right? Three, eight. And there's a constant daddy, daddy, daddy. There is a constant. It's amazing. And there's a moment I need to breathe, right? Because what I want, as I'm getting older, I want more quiet. I want more silence. I want more solitude. But that's life. Okay, let's let's move to the to the next one, to the last attitude, uh, inner dynamics, right? Posture, prayer. Again, prayer could be, and it is, a discipline itself. But uh, prayer, uh, as a means of dialogue with God, um, it is in a very sim simple way. You know, coming from the other two postures, is is a place of offering all what really are. To God, you know, it, out of that silence and, and that kind of peeling off cultural tendencies, uh, desires to perform. I, I am naked. Let's put it that way. And when I'm naked in solitude, I face my own nakedness. Right? Prayer is then offering exactly who I am, my nakedness to God. I offer myself without performance, without control. I only bring real awareness of me and of him. And of me in my brokenness and beauty, if you want, beauty as, as a creature created by God and loved by God, and of him as his love that never ends and is always offered. Uh, this is an uh, adaptation of some words of the author, Robert Mulholland. When he talks about prayer, he talks about a yearning, hungering, wrestling prayer that enter into the pitiful struggle between what we are 
and, and the desire of who God wants us to be. Between what we have been with others and what God wants us to be for them. Between what we have allowed others to be for us and what God wants for them to be for us. Makes sense. I, I think it's very telling, very insightful. There is a vision of who I am and a vision of who, who I am from God, <laughs> who God created for me, true self, whole self. There is also maybe a distinction between the kind of relationship of, of me being who I am in my false self for others and the intention of what God wants me to be for them. You know, and that's what I face, right? In the prayer, I, I, I can I can present things as they are and say, Lord, I am offering. If, if you don't help me to be who you want me to be for them, what else can I do, right? And, and that's the prayer. That is the desire. And the, 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 the insightful idea of also offering what I demand people to be for me. Why they don't love me and they don't respect me. And they don't affirm, affirm me and they fill my cup and tell me that I'm wonderful. <laughs> and just remembering what God meant for people to be with me. You know, I always remember, and I tell a very brief this story. Uh, you know, wanting to, for me, coming back home, you know, little children, we were living in the ministry called Lifehouse at that time. We would live with a, a few ladies who were pregnant and didn't have where to go. So it was complex and hard. But for some reason, I had this idea, driving home, that I was coming back home, my safe place, place of love and, and fulfilling for me, right? And that didn't go well, because as soon as I will get home, I will be confronted with some level of chaos and disorder and children in need and and um, Julie, my wife, a little bit stressed out and another lady is living with us that were not happy in their lives. <laughs> so I was constantly like, what in the world? This home is not what it should be. And that was my struggle. And I will react to it and I will clean the house in anger. And I will help with that false motivation. You know, that, that's the story. Angry cleaning, actually. It's a, that's called, it's a thing. Um, and God bringing me at some point to, to an understanding, like he will be telling me, Marcos, you are just mistaken. You know, would you want them and your home, them in your home and your home to be for you? It's just mistaken. It's unfair. They will never be that for you. They are not your home, you know, safe place. That's not wrong. You're, you have been watching too many movies, right? And God telling me, they will never be able to satisfy that longing of safety and home in your heart. And that's when God enters, right? And say, come to me because I want to be that for you. And if before going to your home, you come to me, and find what you need in me, chances are that you can go home and instead of demanding them to feel all these needs for you, you can just be loving, forgiving, and serving with a good attitude. I change a lot the ways that I perceive things. Let me finish with this, and we have maybe a few minutes to talk. Okay. Henry Nowen, 
a prayer. Dear God, speak gently in my silence. When the loud outer noises of my surroundings and the loud inner noises of my fears keep pulling me away from you, help me to trust that you are still there even when I am unable to hear you. Give me ears to listen to your small, soft voice saying, Come to me, you who are over, overburdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble of heart. Let that loving voice be my guide. Amen. Tell me what comes to your mind. A few minutes to, to hear some of your comments, questions. Um, I've been praying um, all this morning. And um, there are some um, friends that were sending me uh, scriptures. It's very encouraging. And it has a video on it. And on the video, the person prays. And so you can repeat or you can just quietly listen. And um, once I finish that, then I pray myself. But I was praying before and then I had to pray after the video. But it just seemed like I wasn't I wasn't getting uh, the peace that I know that God can give, you know. And um, so what, what I do, I get the scriptures and I say, okay, God, speak to me. Keep speaking to me. What is it that I need to hear? You know, because I, I don't feel like I'm calm in my spirit. So then I got my diary and I wrote down everything, you know, trying to release it to God. I write down everything that I, I feel like that's trying to wear me, trying to overcome me um, uh, today. And so I write it all down. I said, okay, that should be it. But I'm not still feeling calm. So I said, okay, God, what is it? So I go back into prayer, trying to pray. And I, I realize I'm having difficult praying. And so I said, God, what is it that I'm lacking today? And I have my alarm set usually for meditation. Um, but for the last couple of months or so, between the vertigo, I haven't had privacy to get on call. And I said, oh, that's right. I can do it today, you know. And so I got on here with the expectation that God was going to speak to me, not only the, through the fellowship, but through the, um, the um, meditation, through his words. And so I started feeling, you know, calm because I had forgotten even to breathe, how to breathe. And so Marco, when you started saying breathe in and out, I realized, see, I've forgotten how to breathe in and out, you know, to position myself to heal. I'm asking God to calm me, to hear, to hear me, but I hadn't presented myself for him to enter into my soul. And so I was just sharing with Michelle how these scriptures are just so timely, like God always do. He's so timely. And I told her I didn't know what the word language meant. I was going to look it up, but she looked it up right quick and we could talk. We talked about it. And so it just started to say, I just started to say, okay, God, thank you. I was going to wait till after the call, but she broke it down and we just started talking about it. And so it's um, prayer. You know, I wasn't able to look, look, 
calm myself down from praying everything I was doing. But I realized that God, God needed me to, you know, to silence myself, so to speak. Just sit, be quiet. Um, you mentioned, Marco, uh, what is it like? And I was thinking about a successful marriage where you know each other well enough to you can sit in silence and not feel like you have to be heard or you know what the other thing is. You're just sitting there, just enjoying and just enjoying each other. And at the same time, it is still a moment of solace, even though there's somebody right there next to you. So I was thinking of that as far as God. He's, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And I know this to be true, um, but I hadn't sat in my position of solace, you know. Um, and so I, I was just thanking God um, that he's calming my soul, you know. He's calming me to hear to hear him. And so I just I just thank each one of y'all and just thank you for your prayers. Um, but prayer is dialogue with God. Um, but to I have to position myself to hear, to be in silence. And so that's what I wanted to share. Thank you so much, Bernal. So glad. Thank you for sharing that. Bernal, as you're sharing that, it uh, it brings a lot of imagery to my mind of um, sometimes sitting with the Lord means just, for me, crawling up into his lap and letting him hold me. And there's a scripture, I flipped it to my Bible real quick. One of my favorite scriptures comes from Psalm 131-2. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And just that picture of complete rest and just being with the Lord, just being with the Lord. Excellent. That conjured up a memory of me, uh, for me, of this picture that I just dearly love of being the lamb in the arms of the shepherd. Beautiful. Um, Yep. Yeah, I yeah. I brought that with me to the place I'm staying this summer um, because I need to remember that. And, you know, it's one thing to know it. It's something else to to have it permeate. Um, when I'm intentional about solitude and, and, ex and expecting that time to be time with the Lord, whether it's, it's silence or whether it's prayer, um, I'm good with that. It's the time that I'm alone that's not intentional. Um, it's not an intentional prayer time that I find I get lonely. Um, and maybe what I need to do is work on my perspective. Um, and yeah, I have a lot to think about, but this was, this was helpful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I love the picture, Judy. Thank you. Yeah, I do too. Well, friends, thank you. Such a, su su such a uh, helpful remind. So many helpful reminders. You know, I love the imagery. Some, some scripture that is a specific, a picture, and and Vernell, this this awareness of something is missing. I'm doing the, the other things. I'm praying, but something is missing. 
And you know, this is exactly what we are talking about. Those inner dynamics are sustained in that experiential way. So thank you all for sharing. It's time. So I am going to share our final blessing as we usually do and let you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Gonna look twice at you Until I see the Christ in you Till I'm looking through the eyes of love Till I'm looking through the eyes of love